Welcome to episode two of Critical Conversations, Manifest Destiny. In this episode, we cover lots more of what makes America, America, and the audio quality is much improved. Please do give us your feedback, though. Hello, and welcome to the second episode of Critical Conversations, focusing for now on the context of American literature. Episode one explored how the American Declaration of Independence came about. Today, we want to go west and discover how and why America grew from a relatively small number of states on the eastern seaboard to the United States of America. By 1840, almost 7 million Americans had migrated westwards. What motivated these people to go west, and how did that impact on the development of modern America? Let's start at the beginning. Why did Thomas Jefferson believe that America's future development or future depended on its Western expansion? So first of all, let's remind ourselves of who Thomas Jefferson was. He was one of the U.S. presidents in America. And his philosophy, he had this whole philosophy of agrarianism, the whole idea of Americans living in the frontier, you know, the world living was better than urban living. Um, he felt that, that Americans, we as Americans would prosper more um, being one with the land and being, um, uh, you know, being living away from ur- the urban cities such as like Boston and um, New York. Um, yeah, just the, the, those bigger cities that were actually growing and becoming very populated. Mm. So really the West offered this opportunity, this sort of almost limitless, limitless possibility mm. of expansion and opportunity um, and development for America. Yeah, just the whole idea of what's out there, exploring, mm. you know, what was in America. Because, you know, when he became president, um, we grew a bit. I mean, we had the 13 colonies. Um, but the, there were some states uh, added to it, but... We did not know what was out there in the sure. West. Yeah, we have not. We haven't explored that yet. Sure. So the the sense of of the, the mapped America we might have in our minds mm-hmm. today is not the mindset that these sort of pioneering um, finding fathers would have had. They didn't know necessarily about the prairies and the forests right. and the mountains. It was just this undiscovered land, right. a colony to explore. Yeah, California didn't exist then. <laughs> okay. okay. What is interesting is that from. It's, it's a very interesting perspective that Miss Becomes got there because it's that's that is with the classic American image of mm. what is there. But actually, in terms of the West, they do know it's there. Okay. The the map they they know where the coast is. They know where east and west coast are. Right. But it is absolutely true that they do not know what's Just in the middle. Join it up mm. together. This mm. territory is also te- claimed by Mexico, by the French, okay. and by the British. Okay. Everything west of the Appalachian Mountains is essentially already been claimed by someone else. But Jefferson's idea is that if he can get people to right. go west, right. they can settle, they can populate, and then he can, or presidents after him, can argue that they deserve okay. their own specific rights and to join with, the, with America. So sort of occupational Absolutely. Cl- claiming the land. So can I just clarify then? So the land... It's claimed by various different nations, but it's not actually inhabited. It's sort of empty. There are small settlements, particularly okay. on the west coast, the okay. middle, along the, the coast. But and yeah. again, there are there are 
thousands of Native Americans right. sure. roaming okay. these areas and sure. living there. But from a, from an American perspective, yes. or a European perspective, uh, yeah. And and I think that's a key idea as well is that Jefferson's trying to throw out the old world. Mm. Mm. That this is that there, there is a chance for America to prosper. They need to link coast to coast. Okay. And that very much comes into uh, what we'll be talking about later about Manifest Destiny. Mm. Well, I was just going to ask you about that because that was a phrase that kept coming up when I was doing a little bit of reading about this, that this phrase Manifest Destiny kept coming up and I don't know what that is. So could one of you maybe explain what that phrase means? Yeah. In 1845, in the, uh, the editor of the New York Morning News, John J. Sullivan, first uses this term Manifest Destiny. And what he says is that Manifest Destiny is the duty, almost, of Americans to overspread and to possess the whole of the continent which Providence has given us for the development of the great experiment of liberty and federated self-government entrusted to us. Now, that's quite a lot to unpack, but essentially what he's saying is God, something, a divine being, has given America this huge, seemingly, like you say, limitless resources, and it is their mission to colonize it, to make it part of the union. Yeah. And I mean, but at the same time, we have to remember, in like my way of thinking is, he was referring to the white Americans. The white Americans go into the, to these t- territories, and whoever they encountered would be the Native Americans, would it be the um, indigenous, you know, like the Mexicans um, that were living there. He is just saying going there to their territory and teaching them the civilized way, you know, mm. is their idea of what civilization sure. is, what, what it on is. On their terms. Right, on their terms. Mm. Yeah. There's a fantastic uh, painting by John Gast from 1872 called American Progress. And in it, it's got on the right-hand side, essentially the eastern seaboard, with this giant goddess, Columbia, which represents America. She's bringing with her a telegraph wire in in her hand. And you can see, you can track across, as this westward expansion happens in the painting, bringing this, what they would think of as western white civilization, driving out nature and the Native Americans and and the darkness, because they are, as Ms. Pekam said, bringing the civilized world to America. So they saw it as completely morally superior, mm-hmm. what they were doing mm-hmm. from this white Anglo-centric perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. And then, no, I was just going to say, so in, the, in, the, in essence, is that really like the legacy of this is like the sort of waspish, wash, wasp <laughs> attitude of American, you know, that, that aspect of American culture, mm-hmm. um, that there's that sort of um, like you say, sort of dis- divinely sanctioned drive to create a miracle of their vision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, was, what I was going to say is this whole manifest destiny, this whole attitude, you know, when um, six warmers, when you when they start studying in the Grapes of Wrath, they will see this throughout the text where the characters talk about their land and how they fought for it and it belongs to them, but it's the whole idea of they were the ones pushing out these Native Americans, um, you know, because they felt superior pushing mm. them out of their land and settling there. Mm. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So there's, it's in their minds it was legitimized. Yeah. Um, moving on to something more specific, um, could one of you explain what the Louisiana Purchase was? Yeah. So in 1803, President Thomas Jefferson purchases 800,000 square miles of land from Napoleon, 
of oh, uh, okay. the Napoleon you sure. are thinking of when mm-hmm. you think of Napoleon from the French for $15 million. In one payment, he has purchased, he has doubled the size of, of right. the United States of America. Now, it's not a state yet. It's just territory owned by America. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't. It, it has populations, but they're very small. S- some settlers, not very many, really. So he commissions in eighteen twelve. Uh, later president, in fact, commissions in eighteen twelve. Lewis and Clark to go on this expedition to find out what uh, is there. Sorry, not eighteen twelve. That's when Louisiana actually becomes a state. Lewis and Clark had gone before then. They're trying to find the passages towards Oregon and see how far the source of the okay. Mississippi. All these kinds of geographical. Barriers and see through them so that it can make a path towards colonization. So, in a way, it's sort of going parallel to what is happening in other parts of the world. So, I'm thinking about, say, when you're talking about, say, mapping the Mississippi, you have sort of similar parallel explorations going on in Africa or, you know, Mm. Mount Everest being, you know, the the various uh, geography um, expeditions going off to map that. So, So, the world. We're getting back to this sort of group, aren't we, mm. of similar sort of backgrounds who are trying to, to ma- literally map the world and explore and claim and, and put their stamp on it. Mm. And it's called, this is, again, something I wanted to get clarified. So it's called the Louisiana Purchase, but Louisiana is just one little corner, isn't it, at the bottom and the very southern tip. Right? No, it actually extends but it, but it all the way right up the Mississippi. Right. right. I mean, essentially, what you're th- what you, when you think of the central Great Plains ah. region of America... That's essentially Louisiana. Okay. So in, in, in those Name, times, Named after yes. the French colonies set up under King Louis. Right. Okay. That's where the derivation okay. of the word okay, comes from. Okay, that makes sense. So it goes from starting the Mississippi River all the way towards, like, the Rocky Mountains. Okay, to the, to the, to, to the source of okay. the Rocky Mountains. So, like, my home state of Iowa was, well, the, the, it was there, yeah, but it was part of the Louisiana Purchase. Okay. It was part of that territory. Okay. Yeah. It was part of that territory, mm-hmm. so it goes from the tip of Louisiana all the way north to like North Dakota to Montana, but doesn't quite reach like where California, where we think where California sure. is today. But it still gives us a sense of the scale when you think of it in exactly. those times. So from New Orleans all the way up, mm. that helps us. It sort of puts a scale to those figures that you gave us right at the start. Absolutely. Um, so okay, that's all well and good. All of these we're talking about this sort of elite group of people who have this grand vision and this drive to do these things. But what about ordinary people? You know, why did the ordinary person pack up and you know our visions of the Oregon Trail with you know the sort of the canvas-backed um, wagon and you know being pulled along and a family all cramped together? You know, why did people like that? What, what tempted them to leave the east? I think land was just cheap. Okay. I mean, land was cheap. They could obtain it, you know, for very little amounts of money. I mean, we had the... Trying to remember, I don't remember the year right now, but the Homestead Act um, was, you know, where um, people were given um, a small plot of land for a certain amount of money. You know, we had the Oklahoma land rush where lands was open for the people and people would just, like, literally, they rushed, you know, mm. and marked their territory. This is where I'm going to settle. Sure. Um, I think I can remember a really bad film that I watched probably back in the 90s with Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman when they were still married and they there was a film about that sort of idea, oh, some right, sort of okay. land mm-hmm. I can't remember what it's called, but I'm sure mm-hmm. you can look it up online. But yeah, so that idea to basically, if you can stake a bit of land out with a bit of rope, that's yours and you can build your, your home and your family around Yeah, that. I mean, and, and think about like the urban cities were growing, so people were, you know, starting to get, I don't I don't know, Mr. B, would you say like there, there was like 
many, like not big factories that we think of today, but there were development of factories that people were starting to work in and it was getting overcrowded. I think definitely that's exactly it. I, I've written down in my notes that it's, it's the same reasons that the original settlers, settlers had left the old world. Okay. They were escaping again, the mm-hmm. urbanized, yeah. filthy, mm-hmm. unfair, corrupt, all, all those things. People are getting a second chance. It might be because they're a married couple seeking to go out. It might mean that you are trying to escape the law. Sure. Any reason. And you're also being sold a vision. The politicians, yeah. the government want you to go. Because, again, this idea that if, if the president and, the, and Congress, if the government can get more settlers out west, they can convincingly argue that that is American territory. There's no settlers there they can't do. I, I've heard this anecdote that in California, people were told there was roast pork running around with knives already in it, <laughs> telling you that this was, again, the, the land of plenty sure. where mm-hmm. you may have been suffering. Yeah. Yeah. It's so a very similar thing that what's going on with the Chinese now with the Han people, moving more and more traditional Chinese people into less traditionally Han population areas to build up this similar demographic again. Uh, similar very much so in the Crimea. It's a very common tactic to try and get your people into these areas through settling so that you can then argue later on yes. that the government has a legitimacy of being there. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think it's just word of mouth, right? It's like, you know, mm. they hear like maybe they had a family member or somebody that they knew already out there and just feeding to them like, oh, yeah, it's so great, it's so wonderful, yeah. come out here. And come the join land, us. Yeah, the land is so great, sure. you can really, you know, prosper, right? Mm. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's also that too. It's, it's fascinating, really, because yeah. like you're saying, there are parallels today, but in a way, that, those stories have just been lived out in London. They've, you know, we think about all of the immigrants who've come and, you know, they'll come along and, and join mm-hmm. um, people who've gone before them to seek seeking a better life, um, better opportunities. I know we're going to talk a little bit about the American dream. We're going to have a whole episode about the American dream later on, um, but I suppose you could also argue that this is really the beginning Certainly, this is where those kinds of ideas Uh are being forged Mm -hmm. in through Manifest Destiny Mm -hmm. about what that really does mean Mm -hmm. and for who. Mm. Well, that's perfect because the next thing I wanted to think about was to consider of the who, um, because we keep coming back to this this group of fairly uniform white men um, from similar backgrounds. What about the other people who lived in America? So, for example. uh, slaves, you know, why was slavery such a contentious issue in relation to the move west? Well, I mean, I, I think we also need to think, know that in America, like, all these, the frontier would probably be, like, the first, like, melting pot and, you know, kind of part of America because we had the Native Americans, we had the indigenous people from Mexico, um, we had Europeans, we had the slaves, you know, from um, parts of Africa. Um, this was really, you know, a melting pot. And as people moved to the frontier, they're encountering all these different people. And it's kind of like, we got to learn to live together or we got to learn to, you know, or I take from you. Or it, it, it was, a, I think it, that was the first, the whole idea yeah, the whole melting pot. I don't want to say the whole idea. It's just like the first area, I would say. I don't know if area is the right word, but it is in many ways the first melting pot, you know, of America before it's, it is what it is today. 
if that makes sense. <laughs> so sort of the rules are having to be defined because they are literally encountering new frontiers, new mm-hmm. places, new groups of people. Right. And the, the dynamics are evolving as, yeah. as it goes along. Yeah. And that there will always be then, you know, particularly... Um, problematic areas right yeah and then we have to also like america was divided like through slavery right the north were the free states the yes. south were the slavery states and then when uh, i would say mr Beale, would you say that when louisiana purchase was um occurred it's kind of again we still had that that division north free south slaves and then it kind of caused some tension okay. absolutely yeah. it's the it, the Louisiana, the Missouri Compromise, which comes out of the Louisiana Purchase. So, the Missouri Compromise of 1820 says that any states of the south of the southern border of Missouri can be slave states, and anything right. above that, if they get made into a new state, they can't be. So, there's this longitudinal line going across America, which is basically setting that boundary out. The issue then comes when these these states become parts of the union that it's every time a state is added, it's tipping that balance towards pro-slavery or anti-slavery. And Jefferson says himself that slavery will be the issue that will ultimately define America. And he is he's proved right much later on. So slavery becomes this hotbed issue of what does it mean for your state? Are you pro, are you anti, and why? As, as Mr. Calm said, in the South, it is the fundamental part of the economic way of life, mm. that slavery is essential. For the North, it isn't. Mm. So they can take a moral high ground because it isn't part of their economy. Yes. And that's, that's what I just wanted to check as well, that it is purely because of the nature of the agricultural in the southern, agriculture in the southern states, that that's why it's, it's the workforce that depends on slaves. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And I think it, um, if we think about, like, those that were looking to move, you know, to, towards the westward expansion, and they were slave owners. I mean, it was hard because the possibility of, you know, I mean, I read an anecdote where there was a story of, of um, one plantation owner. He wanted to move westward, westward, um, and you know, get some gold and everything. And he sends his slave with other people that worked for him, that um, whites, you know, um, but he sent some of his slaves to go west to, you know, take this gold, gold by me, you know, make sure I have a pot of land and everything. And this, um, his slave decided to um, escape, you know, escape because freedom was more important than the gold. Sure. You know, and it's the whole, you know, the whole idea of like, it kind of grew the tension. It's like, well, how can I ensure that, you know, that as we're moving west, that these areas are part of the slave states and these are the northern Mm -hmm. states? Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. So in other words, that the standards that are important to Mm -hmm. certain groups are maintained as as expansion happens. Mm -hmm. Um, Another conflict, I think, of a different kind uh, was the Mexican War. Mexican War, and it's something I know absolutely nothing about. So, um, Mr. Beale, do you want to have a go at explaining the Mexican War for us? Yeah, it starts with President James K. Polk, who, if you're a fan of the TV show Pointless, get him in your memory because he'll always be a pointless answer. <laughs> he's not; pre- he's only president for one term, but it's an incredibly significant one because he is Mr. Manifest Destiny. It is his belief that America must progress and make these this union between east and west coast 
And his way is through conflict, essentially. He manages to get Texas added to the Union. He claims in 1846 that Mexicans have attacked further. Something before we go any further, everything that we think of as the southwest corner of America is part of Mexico. Okay. And so California, places like that, they do exist, but they are part of Mexico. So therefore, we are looking at an area huge in resources. At the time, it seems more significant because it will connect geographically from west to east. As we'll find out later, there is then a really significant reason to go to California. But at this time, it's, it's to have it. It's just mm. as important. It's almost a symbolic importance. Absolutely. Mm. And Mexico, uh, Polk claims that Mexico has attacked them, so the Mexican-American War starts. Essentially, the huge technological and financial resources of America come to bear that Mexico just cannot defend the, the area of territory over which it's being attacked. So loses, and the Treaty of uh, Guadalupe Hidalgo in 1848 defines the border of America and Mexico as the border of the River Rio Grande, which is me saying river twice because I did I said it in Spanish as well. There, <laughs> uh, the Rio Grande, and it gives and it gives California over to America for the price of 15 million dollars, which shows you again that's the same price as the Louisiana Purchase. It shows us though within just a couple of decades how America is able to put pay for that again, that huge sum again, mm. for what is seemingly not as much land. Okay. Can I just ask, I don't know if you know the answer to this or can explain this, where is this money coming from? Where is this, where is this pot? Is this being borrowed from, from banks or is, there, is it essentially borrowed money? Or? It's from taking out loans from the right. US bank. Okay. It's, it, it's deficit financing, it's okay. gambling, okay. taking these loans out to, to pay for it with, sure. with debt, yes. hoping that it's going to make it's money later on. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Um, I don't know if this is connected with the American, uh, with the Mexican War, but uh, a battle that always sort of sticks in my mind, with it, sort of associated with the move west, is the Battle of Alamo. Mm. Mr. Cam, do you want to talk us through that? Well, be, I mean, even before the before the Mexican American War, I mean, um, what? Because I have to go back and I have to remember my history. <laughs> but Texas was like kind of split in half. Mm. Like one half of it belonged to America, and the other half belonged to the Mexicans. And we, during the Mexican American War, the I think the Battle of the Alamo was going on too. And um, what I remember is the fact that um, because they were split in half, it was like I think the Mexicans trying to. Well, I don't know if I'm right or wrong, Mr. Beale, let me know. But they're trying to regain the control of the Republic of Texas, the, the part that belongs to America. Okay. They're wanting to take that back. I think the confusion is because it's yeah. actually during the Texan War of Independence. Yeah, okay. Texas was part of Mexico, was fighting to become independent, okay. and potentially then join the Union. Mm. So the Battle of the Alamo is actually kind of in that, like, like Miss Becomes, kind of articulating there, the, this messy period where yeah. it's not clear who it belongs to. And that there isn't just one war, there's various skirmishes and various gains and losses. And yeah. as, you know, progress is sort of taking a step forward, back, and so on, as the people, as a body move yeah. west. I mean, I mean, through this time, there's so many other things going on in America, mm-hmm. too. Like, there's, like, trying to... Um, there's a lot of, like, Native American, you know, wars between the Native Americans sure. going on around in America. Um, just so many things happening because, you know, of the whole idea of trying to make America bigger. You know, mm. that's what... Well, we can, we can move on and talk about that um, because that has to be a huge um, 
consideration and, and you know in terms of the, the expansion is yeah what is happening to the indigenous people um and what is the, the trail is you know what's become known as the trail of tears mm. um i think this is, this is something that i remember studying in school it was like I felt just so bad that the fact that this was happening to the Native Americans, and until this day, I still question. It's like how can we still be, you know, they were we as Amer- some of us in America, to <laughs> say, really see them as the very first settlers in America. That's how, um, a lot, you know, some American pop, you know people see them as as being the first settlers who were the first people who did discover America. And for them to be constantly pushed out of their land for, you know, other settlers to settle on their land is quite devastating. And then the Trail of Tears was when they pushed the Cherokees off of their land and um, pushed them and tried to force them all into one reservation area. Okay. Okay. So it wasn't just that they were being slaughtered it was also a sense that they were just being literally marginalized yeah. pushed to the extremes to the most inhospitable lands maybe yeah. and sort of pushed off the, the I mean there was territories. I think there was a there was a battle going on the Cherokees lost and um it's just if you could there's a great painting I don't know who they're out there but it's a painting of the chief of the Cherokees with his people just following him um um, away from the reservations, and you just see them with all their belongings, and just following him away from the reservations, and that image just sticks with me, and that's what I remember with the Trail of Tears. What's always fascinating for me, and it's it's very interesting because yeah, you got the out as someone British studying America, you've got the outsider's perspective, yeah. so you can Judge. just go, it's terrible, yeah, and yeah. here's why. <laughs> Considering that the America wouldn't exist without Native American help, when those first settlers land in Plymouth Rock, they can't survive the winter without American help. And then American, uh, Native American help in how to farm the land, what crops to plant, and all those things. In comparison, once they start expanding west, I always think that it's because there's some kind of, they're an ugly secret that the Americans realize they already are on this land. But the advantage is they're a nomadic people. They don't have the same system of land ownership. So treaty after treaty, the America, the government make with different tribes and then break them. Because they have no, they have no intention of keeping them. Once they, if any time on a reservation that's made, any resource or fertile soil is discovered, the American government will find a reason to move the, America, the Native Americans on. I think the best example that encapsulates the experience is what happens to the bison. Now, in Native American culture, for the Plains mm-hmm. Indians, these mm-hmm. are the ones that you think of when you yes. think of Native Americans. Yes. These are roaming the, the, the West uh, after the bison. They use every single part of every buffalo or bison they kill in their culture for food, for clothing, for accommodation, for fuel, mm. and, and as part of their religious ceremonies. In 1800, there are 40 million bison roaming the plains by 1895 there are 1,000 left there are stories that obviously during westward expansion during manifest destiny you've got the railroad and other forms of transport coming after the initial pioneers people used to just fire their guns randomly at the bison as entertainment while you were on your journey 
no one's picking them up. So they're just left there to rot. So it, that kind of element is, is the encapsulation, I think, of what happens during westward expansion. The complete the disregard, yes. reckless disregard for the Native Americans and systematic exclusion of them from their, their original places. And you think back to like the whole idea of the manifest destiny, destiny was like, you know, to spread their democratic ideals in the civilized ways, you know, yes. and it's just like how it doesn't know, it doesn't up, marry does it? up. No, yeah. no, it doesn't. I mean, um, I mean, just looking at my notes, like twelve thousand Cherokee Indians were pushed away from their land, and it's the thing is, like, I feel like when the European settlers came and you know and. America started getting bigger. You have these Native Americans desperately, like desperately trying to save their lands, you know, um, joining the British Army to fight with them during the, you know, revolution to, you know, getting guns from them and joining the French and helping the French, helping the Mexicans. Like, they're so desperate that they're trying to do allies with, you know, mm -hmm. other, other nations so they can push these people out of their land. And um, it's just... It's just devastating. I mean, I mean now. I mean, we look at today in the news, and you have um, Trump arguing about um, you know making America great again, and this whole idea of you know this is how America was built, but he's forgetting that you know who were the ones there sure. in the beginning. And there's a complex morality yeah. behind that greatness. Yeah. Um, another phrase um, that I came across when I was doing a little bit of research was. That of bleeding Kansas. Oh, the bleeding Kansas. Mm. Yeah. How does that fit into all of that? Bleeding Kansas takes us back to the problem between slave states. Okay. Yeah. It's okay. funny because with things like Sand Creek and Little Bighorn and Wounded Knee, yes. bleeding Kansas sounds like something from the Indian Wars, sure. but actually but it's, it's, a, it's a political conflict. Okay. It's very close to some of your... Yeah, yeah. Well, I lived in um, in Kansas for almost ten years. I was teaching there. That's when I first started my teaching career. And um, yeah, Kansas is not far from Des Moines, um, which is about two hours away. Mm -hmm. So the whole idea of like the boundaries. We went, if we go back to the boundaries of the whole Missouri Compromise, it's like when Kansas was became a state. Um, well, we, we, are they a free state or are they a safe state? You know, they okay. are right next door okay. to Missouri. You know, mm -hmm. they're on the west of, west of Missouri. So what makes them, you know, are they going to be, you know, safe state or not? And they kind of built this kind of civil tension um, between, you know, those in the north and the south. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So it's the fact that, I mean, it was like a civil war, wasn't it? It was... It's the civil war before the civil war. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's Kansas's civil yes. war. Okay. It's what, 1856? So we're very, I mean, ten, within yes. 10 years, yes. then the country's mm -hmm. ripping itself apart. Okay, okay. Well, that's good. It's, it's nice to have these sort of dates to sort of benchmark, um, like you say, the, the movement towards that, that civil war that defines the, the end of the century mm -hmm. um, in America. Um, but something else that um, I always imagine when I think of 19th century um, westward expansion is the Californian gold rush. Um, and I just wonder how real was that? You know, is it just something that's been celebrated in fiction or was it, was it really um, a rush for gold and did anybody really get rich? In January of 1848, James Marshall is making his sawmill in the Sacramento Valley. Okay. Now for a sawmill, you need a water wheel. Uh -huh. So he, he does it very close to the river and he starts to notice gold spots. Okay. 
and he has discovered gold, plentiful amounts of gold coming down from the mountains uh, of this Sierra Nevada range with gold in it. Within By December, our friend James K. Polk <laughs> is saying about the vast, bountiful quantities of gold that are just lying in the rivers. And for the first people to get there, so again, James Polk, why is he saying it? Westward expansion. Brilliant PR. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the next year, in 1849, what are called the kind of 49ers, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. 100,000 people are suddenly descend on a town with, on an area that only had a population of 1,000 right. looking for this gold. Okay. Many of them do find it. Miss mm-hmm. Pekam, I was wondering, what, what does it... What does it mean in American schools the kind of gold rush element um I mean well it's still happening now you guys people are still going out to California (laughs) around yeah around like Las Vegas and stuff no seriously and still looking to strike it rich and look for gold and it was like 49ers we talk about 49ers you guys don't get mixed up with the American football team but it was the 49ers it was the year that people rushed up there and looked for gold and yeah it was a real thing and um People did. They were. That's that's another thing that made everybody get on. You know, get on that Oregon Trail and go to California. Yeah. Take the chance. Yeah, so take the chance. Yeah, and if you think about it, California now is like kind of like the whole glitz and glam, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it's the whole idea of that. When you mentioned Vegas, I know that's not. I know that's oh, not yeah. California, <laughs> but it is. It is when we think of the West, where yeah. there is that sort of those golden bodies that have been bronzed on the beaches or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. It's the wealth. It's the Hollywood There's also an interesting element that, yes, some people do make it rich straight away, but the vast proportion Mm. don't. Mm. And the impact of the gold rush is obviously what it brings. So many men Mm -hmm. to the West building up these areas. San Francisco blossoms as a port because of the amount of influx from different areas of the world coming into to go to California. That's where they go to San Francisco first. You've also got the other industries that develop around a lot of single, potentially or potentially not, men that have nothing else to do, drinking, prostitution, that kind of element brings up. The other thing is that the real people that make the money are not the gold prospectors themselves. It's who's supplying them. So right. Levi Strauss yes. and his jeans yeah. blossom. A man named Samuel Brennan opens a general store selling the shovels and the pickaxes. Right. He becomes incredibly wealthy. Okay. So the real people that strike it rich by the end are those that have been supplying. Yes. And I don't think tricking is the right word, but they knew that they were selling them a dream when they got there of supplying these people with the tools to then go out and panhandle. But then it becomes an incredibly difficult experience for mm. all these people hoping to strike it rich where James Marshall had, without knowing, discovered sure. it. Sure. Mm. Brilliant. I, I forgot about Levi's Strauss. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, Cause, yeah, the amount he, of people wearing them, but that's where he starts now. Well, yeah, because they were, like, on, like, digging just and panelling and, yeah, just hard-wearing yeah. and, yeah, you got the jeans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's sort of a brilliant sort of analogy of the whole thing, isn't it? The sort of entrepreneurial spirit, mm. just, you know, reacting um, with the needs of the time and, yeah, just making the most of it. Yeah, and, it, I mean, all this, I mean, think about it, everything that we are talking about, like, um, going out west and all that it does build that okay I can be rich is this whole American mm. dream like yeah well I think it might be quite a good place to stop because we're, we're going to have to hold ourselves back really because the next step <laughs> would be to talk about the American dream really 
Um, so let's finish uh, this episode there. Um, but for um, for you students, possibly the next step might be to um, to research migrant workers because a lot of what we've been talking about has been about migration. But what about those men and women who worked along the way, um, or who worked? Sorry, who moved because they had to move to find jobs. Um, possibly you might want to read some of John Steinbeck's other novels like Of Mice and Men or Canary Row, which are about those sorts of people, um, and see what you can find out about how these ideas are still prevalent in the United States today. Uh, so uh, Ms. McCann mentioned a little bit earlier about uh, uh, President Trump, um, but another um, aspect of his uh, one of his many controversies is obviously the Mexican border so some of these issues are still live today and um, so how can you make those links thank you for listening we now have some bonus content from critical conversations so what do we miss I believe um, there is a story um, of a group of um, expansionists, what they called the, the Donner Party, who tried yeah. to make the way west and came, basically came a proper in every possible way. The, yeah, the Donner Party, 1846, they set out, there's 90 of them, the classic example of the wagon trains setting out. They're a really good example of what, like you said, goes wrong, because they're bickering the whole time, they have disagreements about which elements of the trail to take, because actually there are multiple ways you can get okay. to California depending on which bits you get to, they get beset by Indians, by illness. They get to the Great Salt Lake too late in the season so that when they're 18 days, I think, because they go, they take a wrong turn and they have to come back. So they then have to go to, they get to Salt Lake 18 days behind, which they don't realize is too late till they start coming up into the Sierra Nevada okay. mountains and they, start, they have to spend the winter there. They are freezing. They literally wow. freeze to death and they resort to cannibalism to try and get wow. through. And when they get through in 1847, make it to California in the spring, only 45 are left from the 90 that set out. So literally half of them have yeah, yeah, perished yeah. on the way. Absolutely. That's an amazing story. And I think it just is really indicative of just how out of place these people are that they just don't understand. You know, they're, they're trying to make their way across, but they don't understand the climate, they don't understand the territory. And mm. yeah, and it's like 50-50 chance will they survive. Yeah, and so, I mean, again, it's back to our, like, our conversation earlier was that the fact that it is all that propaganda out there, you know? Yeah. Like, you can have a... Make it, make it rich. Yeah, you can make have a better living, you know, out on the frontier world. And, you know, I mean, they're... You know, Jefferson's is the idea of living out on the frontier, but you know, you you are it's we they didn't know like you know what to expect, and everything went wrong for them. Mm -hmm. I just remember playing this game in school, in elementary school, where it was a really old. Back then, we had floppy disks, so we had to put the floppy disk in. It was called the Oregon Trail, and our job was to survive. And we had to make sure that our, you know, us as the organ, you know, these pioneers on this, on this wagon, we had to make sure that we survived. How are we going to survive? What resources are we going to have? Okay, if we are attacked, what are we going to do? You know, and I just remember that. And um, Mr. Beale bought up this whole Donner Party. I was like, oh yeah, I did. We we did we did. They're probably in the game, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's how you lose. Yeah. Things that go wrong. But yeah, I think it's just they, they definitely represent the whole, I think the Donald Party definitely, you know, they represent one of the people that are looking to, you know, um, to build their, their whatever their dream was.
to mm-hmm. you know to make it happen, and they do represent you know the Western expansion to mm-hmm. you know to the bigger you know to the whole yeah the idea of you know America becoming you know bigger to where they are now. I think the other thing we, we maybe missed out when we talked about Manifest Destiny and we talked about Europeans is that they're not a, they're not a United Group either. It's not like everyone. Yes. You've got French, you've got yes. German, huge German yeah. expansion at this point, yeah. and almost they're the ones they're the ones going to the frontier because the th- the thirteen colonies are very well established. Mm. They are the WASP, like you said, mm. white Anglo-Saxon mm. Protestant. They're the English speaking. Set and then you get these waves that get kind of they, the waves crash over the thirteen and then are going further and further out. And if you think about it like that, that Western expansion manifest destiny is this series of waves that each one that pushes mm-hmm. sends a new group out a bit sure. further. Because with the Homestead Act, like Miss Bacan talked about earlier, each time people are settling, so that frontier is pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing, and each new group has got to go that little bit further and press on that little bit further to get to their version mm. of that, that bit of settling, that bit of territory that they want. Mm. And I think that's such an important point when you're thinking about context, and I'm thinking here in particular when you are trying to address AO3 for mm. in, when you're in your essays, it's to not make those generalisations and think that everyone was the same. It is breaking them down into these groups, that they are you know, a complex group of people. Like, what is an American? How do mm. you even start to define what an American is? And it's so multifaceted. Mm. Um, so hopefully, uh, listening to what we've been talking to will help you have a little bit more of an insight into the types of different people and needs um, at the time.